undelivered. The House votes to impeach Donald Trump, setting off an angry presidential response. You're declaring open war on American democracy. And now, critical of the Senate process, House Democrats throw the president's trial into limbo. Frankly, I don't care what the Republicans say. A member of each party's leadership, Republican Senator Roy Blunt and Democratic Senator Dick Durbin, coming up. And Ticket to Ride. Angling for a top finish in Iowa, the 2020 Democrats make their case by drawing contrasts. I have the experience of actually getting the things done that he talks about. Will it work? Presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar joins us next. Plus, Strike a Pose, candidates' modern way of connecting with voters. Selfies! How the art of the selfie is changing the way presidential hopefuls campaign. in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is at a stalemate. President Trump impeached by the House of Representatives for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. But the process is at a standstill. Congress went home for the holiday break, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is still holding the articles of impeachment. And will, she says, until the Senate agrees on what the trial will look like. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says, no skin off my back. He's in no rush for an impeachment trial. And he's holding off Senate Democrats who are demanding a pretrial deal to call witnesses. As for the president, he is eager to mount a strong defense. Now, assuming a Senate trial does happen, the Democratic senators also running for president will have to balance serving as impeachment jurors with precious time on the campaign trail. The Iowa caucuses are around the corner. With me this morning is one of those senators working hard in Iowa, hoping her buzzy debate performance this week helps draw more support there. Amy Klobuchar, you see there, is a Democratic candidate for president, also a member of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. So, Senator, you have said that you and your fellow Democrats should do whatever it takes to push for witnesses in a Senate trial. But as you know... Uh, the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, he isn't on board. So would you vote to start a Senate trial without an agreement to call witnesses? Or is that a deal breaker? Uh, I think that there will be an agreement um, and this trial will go forward. I think what is shocking to me is that right now, despite the president claiming his innocence, claiming uh, that uh, he wants to present witnesses, he's the one blocking the witnesses, Dana. He's the one uh, he could have his acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, testify. We just found out this weekend that someone who works for Mulvaney, Michael Duffy, uh, had sent an email 90 minutes after the president made that critical call to the Ukrainian president. This guy sent an email. I have it here. Uh, we just found it. It says, uh, given the sensitive nature of the request, I appreciate your keeping this information closely held. And he said, don't release any of the funds. This man should testify and I will add one more thing. When Richard Nixon, when those hearings were held, Richard Nixon had all the president's men testify. He had major people testify but, uh, from his administration, and they're being blocked. And don't be surprised. The polls show 64 percent of Republicans so, think these witnesses should testify. So, so just to follow up quickly, uh, do, there, you think that there will be an agreement soon, but it sounds like there'll probably be votes on whether these witnesses will be asked to come forward. You know, I don't know exactly how well this will go down. I simply know that we have a constitutional duty 
uh, to take on this very important case. Okay. Uh, the president betrayed the trust of the American people. And I have been even saying the same thing as I say in public behind closed doors uh, with our leadership in the Senate. I'm in the leadership team. And I've been very clear we should do whatever it takes. And I can still run for president. I'm a mom. I can do two things at once. All right. So let's talk about that running for president. At this week's debate, one of the biggest moments was your criticism of Mayor Pete Buttigieg over what you said was his lack of experience. Listen to how he responded on CNN afterwards. Well, I think the suggestion is that I don't understand the ways of Washington. Uh, the reality is I, I understand them. I just don't accept them. Uh, the American people are fed up with the way things are going in Washington. And I think we need to bring change. It might just be a good idea for that change to come from outside the beltway. So he's basically saying he's an outsider. You're an insider. Your response? Uh, my response is what I said on that stage is that uh, he basically had condemned the experience. He said 100 years of experience on this stage. Uh, in the previous debate, and I pointed out to him that experience does matter. Uh, that is how we got the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau because of Elizabeth's work, or two people that weren't on that stage this last time, Cory Booker's work on the First Step Act, uh, which is going to help get a lot of people out of prison that shouldn't have been there, or Kamala Harris's work helping consumers in California. I just think the fact uh, that someone has experience can be a really good thing right now when we have a president who went in there with no experience and has done nothing when it comes to helping regular people. What do I hear in Iowa? I hear about people who are struggling to pay for insulin, uh, people who are struggling to send their kids to college. And when he passed that pa tax bill, he could have helped regular people. Instead, he went down to Mar-a-Lago and said to his friends, hey, we just made you a lot richer. And guess what? None of the people from Iowa so, were sitting in that room. So, Senator, uh, also at the debate, you were asked a question about your vote to confirm a Trump-appointed federal judge who further dismantled Obamacare this week. You acknowledged that, quote, there are some uh, of these judges that you think are going to be OK, and they aren't. So you've actually voted for dozens of Trump-nominated judges. Was that a mistake? Um, I've actually voted against dozens of those judges. And about, I, it's about half and half. Pretty good record. Yeah. Okay. You can. Yes. But I am somewhere in the middle of our caucus on these judge votes, and I think everyone tries to make their best determination. I think what I pointed out is the person that actually wrote that decision was a judge that had been supported by President Obama and Ted Kennedy and Bernie Sanders uh, and many other people, uh, including myself. So. My point here is what's really going on is that the Trump administration brought this case. They're trying to dismantle the Affordable Care Act. And some of my colleagues on that debate stage uh, want to actually start over uh, with Medicare for all. And so as last I year, said, I go just, ahead. Just, just, to, just to button up, I just want to ask uh, the original question, which is on the Trump judges. You yes, you voted against a lot, but you also voted yay on 29 uh, of the judges, other and 26 others were approved by voice vote. So you gave tacit approval. Or do you regret that now? Um, I would have to look at each of those judges. I don't carte blanche make a decision um, about each each uh, judge based on whether or not Trump nominated them. I think mm -hmm. most of my, if it went by voice vote, then every other presidential candidate uh, up there that's in the Senate right now voted for them as well. 
So you make your best judgment. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger case is, as president, I will be able to appoint the kind of judges that we see right now that I admire, like Elena Kagan and like Sonia Sotomayor and and, uh, like Justice Breyer and like uh, Justice Ginsburg. Uh, My track record of recommending judges to Barack Obama, and he took every recommendation I made, have been some excellent, excellent judges. Um, Um, And I think that's what you look at, as well as my experience. I'm the one that uh, when Justice Kavanaugh, then nominee Kavanaugh, took me on at the Judiciary Committee, I didn't back down. I strongly opposed so, him and made a point to the American people. So uh, we've been talking about the debate and what happened there. Um, looking ahead to the debate in January, you say you've already qualified for that debate. So far, only yeah. five white candidates have qualified. Why do you think that is? You have to look at each individual campaign. I'm hopeful that uh, that won't be the end. Uh, My friend Cory Booker's out here in Iowa uh, campaigning as well. Um, I know that uh, Andrew Yang has qualified at least partway toward making that debate. Um, And so, you know, we will see what happens as this campaign keeps going. There's been a lot of twists and turns. All I know is this, Dana, we have a huge momentum going on right now. Every one of our events in tiny, tiny towns, we've just done 15 counties, have record crowds. We raised over a million dollars from regular people at amyklobuchar.com in just 24 hours after that debate. We've doubled our offices in Iowa, doubled our staff in New Hampshire, added people in North Carolina and South Carolina. And you know what else? As well, South Carolina and Nevada. We are working so hard. So you know what else you have? You have a doppelganger on SNL. I'm not sure if you watched uh, last (laughs) night, but take a look. Yes, yes. No, I The only cave I ever go to is a man cave. I call it the Senate. (laughs) For more of these classic zingers, please check out my stand-up special, Land of 10,000 Laughs, only on Costco Plus streaming services. (laughs) Stand-up Amy Klobuchar special coming soon. That's pretty good. Yes, well, that was a pretty fun part of that debate, actually, when I pointed out there that discussion had gone Mm -hmm. so long. So I suggested that maybe we should go to the Wind Cave in South Dakota, which is a national park. And what you'd like to know, Dana, is now I have a number of spelunkers, right? Okay. That are now really excited about my candidacy. So, you know, in a close primary like you this, never know. you just have to keep reaching out One to One constituency groups. at a time. Senator, thank you so that much. That is exactly how I'm going to win this. <laughs> thank Thanks, you. Dana. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. And Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she won't hand over the articles of impeachment until the Senate outlines its plan for a trial. Will that work? Top Republican Senator Roy Blunt joins me next. And can you even be a true political junkie if you don't post a selfie with your candidate? Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. The Senate is headed into the holidays in limbo over the president's impeachment trial as the parties square off over calling potential witnesses to testify. Joining me now is a member of the Republican leadership, Senator Roy Blunt. Thank you so much for coming in this morning. You've been in Congress a long time. I have. You have relationships across the aisle. So what is your sense? Are you going to come up with a deal so that this trial is going to start early January? Yeah, I think I think a deal is easy to come up with. And we've even got the uh, the plan in place from what happened 
in the uh, Clinton impeachment. And uh, I, I think that's ultimately where we wind up, where we start down this path, let both sides um, pro- uh, make their case, let the House impeachment managers make their case, let the president, for what I would argue is the first time, have a chance uh, to make his case publicly for his his defenders to do that and then see where we are. That's what happened with Clinton. I think that's the best way to approach this. And my guess is that's what we do. Otherwise, we just sort of start down a path where 51 senators decide every issue as it comes up. I don't know that anybody wants to either have that happen or take the time that would take on either side for us to get this uh, this out before the American people, both sides having a chance to present. their. So case. as you well know, the standoff right now is that the speaker is holding the articles of impeachment at the House until the parameters of the trial are done. Um, the Wall Street Journal editorial board said that the Senate should and even could hold a trial, even if they don't get the articles. You're uh, the chair of the Rules Committee. Is that possible? Have you even looked into that? You know, I don't know that that's possible. I think it's very unlikely. I, I frankly don't think the speaker has the, the, the right to do this or the power to do this. The speaker has a lot of power. But once the House has spoken, the speaker doesn't get the decision as to whether or not she transmits that decision to the Senate, in my view. Uh, I think we'll have this all handled by the time we get back in January. I'm sure everybody is beginning to figure out how to present their case. Uh, Frankly, I I think it's a mistake on the speaker's part. I think this has looked pretty political anyway, and this is sort of the icing on the political cake, where at the end, the speaker still can't let go of this as an issue to try to wring the last uh, vestige of politics out of. I mean, the, the outcome here is virtually certain. As I've been saying for weeks, a partisan vote in the House would in almost certainly result in a partisan so, vote in the Senate. So the, the, the outcome certain, trying to get that last thing out of it rather than move on, as the Speaker so, appeared to want to do one day last week, and then suddenly she decides to involve herself so, in what the Senate should do. So you say that the outcome is uh, almost certain. I want you to listen to what a couple of your Republican colleagues have said. Uh, I'm not an impartial juror. This is a political process. There's not anything judicial about it. Impeachment is a political decision. I am trying to give a pretty clear signal. I have made up my mind. Have you made up your mind? Well, based on what I know right now, I just don't think they made the case. I don't think they came close to making the case. Uh, And, you know, this is called a trial because there was really in the Constitution, I think, no better thing to call it. But it's 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 a very political process. Five of the so-called jurors running for president, uh, not a single Republican in the House convinced that they should vote for either the articles of impeachment and a couple of Democrats uh, convinced that they shouldn't vote for the articles of impeachment. So, so it's it's not a classic. I was talking to a federal judge one day this week and he said, uh, how could you call this really a trial? So he was a federal judge for a decade or more where half of the jurors can overrule what the judge decides that ought to happen next. It's not a trial in any classic sense. It is a political decision to do it. Uh And at the end of the day, every single member of the Senate has considerations that are pretty obvious. Okay, so you don't think that the House made its case. But let's just talk about some of one of the basic things, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the president asking a foreign country, the leader of a foreign country, to investigate a man who is a political rival of his. Uh, is that appropriate? 
Well, at the same time, you had the attorney general asking leaders of other countries to help them look into the 2016 elections, whether it's which is which is the benefit, which is to benefit the United States. This is a specific ask specifically about his political opponent. So do you feel that that's appropriate? Well, the, the president and the secretary of state and the, the, the retired lieutenant general who's a foreign policy advisor all feel like that call was within what the What do you think? What does Roy normally. Blunt think? Uh, you know, I, I think I've never been very happy with any of the Ukraine decisions since the Russians uh, invaded Crimea. We told President uh, Obama in December of 2015 to provide lethal aid, which he never did. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've never been happy with the way any of this has been handled re- regarding Ukraine. So- and uh, we're trying to to uh, do what we can now to be helpful. So your colleagues, Ben Sass, called it very troubling, the call asking for uh, to help dig up dirt on on, on uh, Joe Biden. Lamar Alexander said it was inappropriate. Marco Rubio said he shouldn't have done it. And the list goes on. Any other president would have said, I'll have the attorney general call you about what some things we're looking into. This one didn't. So did he make a mistake? The presidents make mistakes. I don't know if this call was a mistake, but again, I think there are plenty of mistakes that have been made by both President Obama and President Trump regarding Ukraine and how to deal with the Russian aggression in Ukraine, just like how to deal with the Russian aggression in our elections. So let's talk about potential witnesses in Mm -hmm. the Senate trial. Uh, Some key figures like the former National Security Advisor John Bolton haven't testified. Bolton's lawyer said that Bolton was involved in, quote, many relevant meetings and conversations that have not yet been discussed in the testimonies thus far. As a juror, don't you want to hear from him? You know, as a senator and as a person who believes the Constitution is there for a purpose, I think it's the job of the House to make the case. Only a majority of the House can send a case over to the Senate. For 180 years, we only dealt we only one time touched the idea of presidential impeachment here now three times in 46 years the congress has moved through the process of impeaching a president i don't think you want to make that so easy that the house that is of a different party can send over the vaguest set of charges and expect the senate then to do the house's job i think they should have gone to court just like the house did with clinton just like the house did with nixon it would have taken some time, uh, but uh, that's the they had plenty of time. They've been wanting to impeach the president. Many of them. So it was the House's January job, and you don't you, you will not vote to hear from any witnesses. Well, let's let's up. let's let them present their case and then see if we need to hear from witnesses. That's the way it was done okay. uh, in two thousand in nineteen ninety nine. I think that's the way we should do it this. Senator, time. I want to ask you about a really interesting article this week uh, from the editor of Christianity Today which is a prominent evangelical magazine. He called for the president's removal from office. And here's what he wrote. None of the president's positives can balance the moral and political danger we face under a leader of such grossly immoral character. Going on to say that he should be removed, we believe, is not a matter of partisan loyalties, but loyalty to the creator of the Ten Commandments. So he's saying that he can't reconcile his Christian faith and values, kindness, generosity, integrity, with the president's, quote, immoral actions in business, relationships with women, and habitual string of mischaracterizations, lies, and slanders. I know your Christian faith is important to you. Uh, And I'm wondering, especially since, like, I think it's almost six in ten of your constituents are white Christians, 
When you read this, is this something that is familiar? Do you wrestle with this? Well, I think that person looking at uh, the president versus what the president's done as president, it's, it's got to be an outlier in everything I hear from uh, the Christian community. The faith-based community generally is very supportive of this president because he's been very supportive of them. What the president's done to allow uh, faith-based institutions to get back as one of the potential options in adoption, something I care a lot about, what the president's done uh, to try to assert religious freedom all over the world. Again, what about you, really Roy important. Blunt? And do you struggle I, I, personally with the kinds of things If you that look described? at the president's actions, if Roy Blunt looks at the president's actions, no president in my lifetime has been as aggressive in trying to achieve the goals that uh, faith-based voters have set out than this one has. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming Good. in this morning. Great to be with you. Thanks. Thank you. And the latest on Democrats' impeachment strategy, the number two Senate Democrat, Dick Durbin, joins me next. Welcome back to State of the Union. The stalemate over impeachment raises a key question for Democrats. With Republicans in control of the Senate, can Democrats accomplish anything by holding on to the articles of impeachment in the House and potentially delay a Senate trial? Joining me now is the number two Senate Democrat, Dick Durbin, who was there 21 years ago during the impeachment trial of Bill Clinton. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um, several of your fellow Democrats, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, have said, based on the evidence that they have seen, they would vote to convict President Trump. Will you? Well, I'm going to take an oath of office uh, when it comes to this impeachment on the floor of the Senate, as I did uh, 20, 21 years ago with President Clinton's impeachment. And in that, I promise impartial justice. So help me God. Uh, and I want to stick by that. I basically want to hear the evidence, read the documents, make a decision that's right for America. So is it a mistake? for your fellow senators on both sides of the aisle, frankly, to say how they're going to vote before the trial starts? I really think it is. I think they've gone too far. Uh, you know, how can they hold their hands up and say, I swear impartial justice, I'd like to sit at the manager's table with the president's team. You can't do that. Uh, they shouldn't have done that. Well, the Democrats that have done Senator it McConnell too. And Senator McConnell and Senator Well, they shouldn't. As far as I'm concerned, they can tell which way they're leaning or how they feel in terms of the probability. But when it comes to saying, I've made up my mind, it's all over, for goodness sakes, that is not what the Constitution envisioned. Alexander Hamilton said, we give this job to the Senate because they are, quote, independent and dignified. For goodness sakes, let's do our best to meet those standards. So, Senator, Speaker Pelosi says that she's waiting to send the articles of impeachment from the House to the Senate until she's confident that there's going to be a fair trial. You heard Senate Majority Leader, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell say, it doesn't matter. He doesn't even need to have a trial anyway. So what leverage do you and your fellow Democrats think you have here by holding the articles in the House? Well, I can tell you, Nana, I went to the floor of the Senate. I was the only member of the Senate uh, sitting on the floor and listened carefully to what Senator McConnell said the other day. Uh, and it was very clear to me. He's made up his mind. He's not interested in evidence. He's not interested in the facts. He wants to get this over with and move on to the appointment of more federal judges. Uh, that's really a serious problem. 
I think the American people expect us to carefully consider the evidence, not conceal the evidence. They're looking for a fair trial, not a fake trial. But do you and a real trial involves documents and witnesses. But do you think that by keeping the articles of impeachment in the House, that's going to really help your case? I think it's a fair question from Speaker Pelosi as to whether or not there'll be any evidence offered, and that's what she's asked for. I know that Senator Schumer sat down with Senator McConnell on Thursday, the first time they sat down with one another to discuss this matter. It didn't go very far, and Senator Schumer said to Senator McConnell, I'll let you think it over uh, over the holidays, and let's come back to this as soon as we can. I can understand that Speaker Pelosi would like to have some idea of what's, how this case is going to be presented. That's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable, but do you really think that she and, and you and Democrats have leverage here? Because what McConnell is saying is, all right, so you don't send me the articles of impeachment. So what? I'll move on and do more judges. Dana, the leverage is our hope that four Republican senators will stand up as 20 years ago we saw in the impeachment of Bill Clinton and say this is much bigger than our current political squabbles. This is the third time in history a president's been impeached. The Constitution is very clear that we have an awesome responsibility and let's live up to you, it on a bipartisan basis. You, if four Republican senators step up, it can make a big difference. You talk to a lot of Republican senators across the aisle. Do you have you identified four who will do that? No, I've, I've not whipped them or twisted their arms or asked hard questions. I've spoken to a few of them. They tell me the political circumstances now in the Republican caucus are um, really very extreme in terms of this loyalty to the president, no matter what. So, Senator, during President Clinton's impeachment trial, you remember all 100 senators, including yourself, agreed to delay a, uh, a possible questions about witnesses until after both sides made their case. That's exactly what Mitch McConnell says he wants to do again. Take the template from 21 years ago, use it now. What's wrong with that? Well, if, well the difference is at that point, uh, we had had an extensive investigation by Kenneth Starr with uh, sworn testimony and grand jury testimony. There was a big record for us to deal with in terms of the trial of Bill Clinton. We don't have that in this situation. We have the actions of some 14 different witnesses uh, who appeared before the House of Representatives, and of course other evidence has been brought together. What we're looking for is a signal from Mitch McConnell that he hasn't ruled out the documents and witnesses. And we've asked for some very obvious witnesses. Mick Mulvaney, for goodness sakes, we believe was not only party to the conversation that's at hand here, so but as acting head of the OMB, he had something to do with so the should, decision to withhold this military aid to Ukraine. So should House Democrats have waited and gone to the courts to try to compel the testimony from people like Mick Mulvaney? Well, the president's defense team knew exactly that if that was a strategy they followed, we would never finish this in, in a timely fashion as this wound its way through court from one level to another. So they went forward with what I thought were compelling uh, testimonies from these witnesses. We saw them all. In fact, at one point, and make this point, uh, I want to make this point, Dana, they invited, the House Judiciary Committee invited the president and his attorney to actually sit at the dais and ask questions. The president's defense team turned them down, didn't want to be there, didn't want to so, ask the questions. So at this point, I think they moved forward as best they could to present the case. You were talking about Republicans who may join you in some of these votes. You're the you're the whip. Uh, let me ask you about some Democrats. There are a number of uh, moderate Democrats. Would they potentially vote against either article of impeachment? 
Dan, I want to tell you, I've been a whip for a while. And, and when it comes to whipping on votes, there are some we don't touch. And this is one of them. This is a question of conscience, as far as we're concerned, even in our own caucus, and I hope in the Republican caucus. It goes far beyond any party line position. Chuck Schumer's made it clear, and I back him up completely, each member is going to make their decision based on the facts and their constitutional responsibility. Senator Dick Durbin, thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Have a happy holiday. Thanks, Dana. Happy holidays. And six weeks until Iowa when voters finally weigh in and the Democrats are throwing around their elbows. So if you're down in your wine cave, you may want to come out and hear the latest. Stay tuned. Caves should not pick the next president of the United States. Mr. Mayor, your okay. response. You know, okay. according to Forbes magazine, I am the literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. So if this is important, this is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. The simmering feud between Senator Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete Buttigieg spills over onto the debate stage. Let's discuss. Uh, I'll start with the Democrats here. Uh, Mayor Gillum, what was your sense of how effective all of that sort of, you know, fighting and, and elbowing was? Yeah. I mean, well, the, the, the important point here was to say we've got to change the way money impacts politics. I think that was the, the broad theme of it all. Um, the, the, the problem is, is that Senator Warren has also uh, raised money in a very similar fashion, maybe not in a wine cave, but certainly with wealthy donors. Um, she has piloted in this race for president the idea that small money uh, put together can actually power forward a campaign. And that, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't draw the conclusion that wealthy people who give contributions to candidates are bad or sinister or are corrupt, and the people who receive them, I wouldn't draw that conclusion either. So this will have resonance only because most of us have not been in a wine cave. <laughs> and so there's something, you know, sort of elusive about that, and, and, and I think it'll probably continue to be an attack. Well, I agree with Andrew, but, but the bigger thing here is this is a disaster for both of them. Uh, Why? Having come through the, the Dean Gephardt suicide murder pack of 2004, mm -hmm. where the two co-front runners at the mm -hmm. time got into this kind of a battle, it never works in a multi-candidate field. Hmm. They're, they're hurting each other. And, and right now, I think uh, the rest of the field is going to benefit from that, particularly Amy Globachar and maybe Joe Biden. Yeah, look, I... <clears throat> I mean, you're the only one at this table I, to win an Iowa caucus. I, maybe not in the Democratic caucus. Just give you my sense of what's <laughs> happening there. I, I, I agree with Joe. I think fighting about an issue that most people don't care about and being nasty about it doesn't help either one of these people. Uh, I think Pete has seen his day. I think it's, it, I've seen this in, in so many races where you, you sort of peak a little too early. Uh, the warts, uh, and, and not saying that he's a bad candidate or anything, but he's just, the, the flaws of his candidacy are now being, being shown. I think the person who, who did well in that debate, you heard it in your, in your, in your, uh, af afterwards in your focus groups, and someone who I think is poised because everybody likes her. And I was there in Iowa and I was low in the polls. Everybody liked me, but no one would vote for me. Why? Because he couldn't win because mm -hmm. my poll numbers were low. Well, her poll numbers are low. Everybody likes Amy, but her poll numbers are low. But guess what? Her poll numbers aren't as low as they used to be. And they're coming up a little bit. And as Buttigieg goes down, 
Amy's going to come up. Some of her will go to Joe Biden, but she's going to get some of those votes. And all of a sudden, some people are going to say, hey, you know what? I like her and she can win. That's what you have to look for. But you know what was fascinating about that debate is, you know, just a couple of months ago, we were talking about how left wing the Democratic Party had been. Hmm. They're all tacking to the center, hmm. including Elizabeth Warren. And I agree with Rick on this. I think uh, Amy Klobuchar did well. But clearly, Joe Biden benefits as well. And he did I'm glad, well you, on that debate, I'm glad you brought that up, because let's listen to part of the debate that made people say exactly what you're both saying. As you've noticed, the first uh, number of debates, I've been the guy that had the target on my back from every single person on the stage. And uh, um, and uh, I was able to uh, be able to just state my position clearly and, uh, and, and move on. My whole purpose in the beginning is to make the case not why other people aren't qualified, but why I'm the most qualified person to defeat Donald Trump. Okay, that was obviously not Joe Biden at the debate, but assessing his own performance. He did very well in the debate, though. I mean, he had a very, probably the best debate he's had throughout. And so when you look at what the, the, the dy dynamics of this uh, race are right now, he's been resilient. I've, I thought he was been much stronger than, uh, what, than what a lot of people were giving him credit for from the very beginning. And now as, as people in Iowa focus on the field, what happens is the, the, the doubts they have about the people they're with. So if, if they have doubts about Mayor Pete, if they have doubts about uh, uh, Warren and doubts about Biden, it's the person who actually is, is moving at the time, has had a really good de debate performance or has stayed out of that fray, as Amy Globachar has, uh, that benefits. And that's why I think getting into this fight with Mayor Pete and Warren that going after each other. Well, in she got into way, a fight with with the mayor. Also. And she did, too. Uh, but but she's below the as as Rick says, she, she's sort of not in the, the front runner uh, right. top tier right now. She can move. She can benefit. I think Joe Biden will benefit as well. But her engaging here was actually important for her mm -hmm. to set herself apart. She knows that some of the reason why she's not doing as well, particularly in the moderate lane, is frankly because Pete has taken away a good deal of that support. Mm -hmm. She needed to engage. And by the way, these are all uh, big adults. They've been in politics. Mm -hmm. Debates are about drawing differences and contrast. So I actually don't have a problem with that so long as um, uh, they stay out of, you know, sort of the personal attack range largely. Um, and I thought this pretty much uh, uh, did that. What about Biden? Well, I mean, I thought Biden did a solid job. Uh, the truth is, is that he actually didn't have to do a great deal uh, to walk away from that debate having kind of the glowing reviews that he has. Why? Because he is the front runner uh, without a doubt. Um, there is a little bit of this expectations thing in the, you know, for me, what, what a lot of folks on the Democratic side want is they want to choose a winner, someone who can go up against Donald Trump and win. And some of what has created the ability for rise for some of these other candidates has been some doubts about whether or not Joe could be consistently steady. He showed steadiness. He was direct. He was short. He made his points. I think he had the fifth lowest or, or highest uh, talking time. So, it, it, you know, he, he benefited from that. And I think that's a good thing. Joe's benefited from the fact that his prior performances were not very good at all. And so this, by comparison, looks good. And, and look, that's that's the perception. Perception is, wow, he was so much crisper. He was much more direct. Perception is everything. And perception is everything. So he did a good job. I think if, if people want to t take a step back and look in whether this is the kind of guy who can who can take on Donald Trump, I think they're overestimating. So I want to ask you all about uh, quickly about this uh, article that came out in Evangelical magazine mm -hmm. and uh, where it, it, the editor called for the president's removal from office. 
and it said in part, uh, Trump tweeted back to it, and he said, I guess the magazine Christianity Today is looking for Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, or those of the socialist communist bent to guard their religion. How about Sleepy Joe? The fact is no president has ever done what I have for evangelicals or religion itself. And Linda, you heard Roy Blunt, Senator Blunt, say exactly that here uh, and you know, not talk about what the editor said, was that the president uh, offends his Christian sensibilities. Well, and that is the problem that I have. Uh, I agree with a lot of what President Trump has done. I'm a conservative. I'm still a Republican. But he is an immoral man. And the fact that you will not ever hear Republicans, I mean, during this whole House impeachment debate, when Will Hurd came to the, to the floor and gave his speech, the, the worst thing he could say is that foreign policy was a shambles. But he could not say that it was wrong, that what the president did was wrong. And the fact that no Republican seems to be able to get out there and make that distinction. Well, first of all, a lot of Republicans have. I mean, I, you, you quoted three or four of them earlier and take Marco Rubio. There's several who said that what he did was wrong, what he did was unwise. I, I've said it. A lot of Republicans have said it. And a lot of Republicans say publicly and privately that they don't like a lot of the things this president says and, and that they are they're very problematic. The bottom line, though, is what's he doing? And what's he doing for the for the evangelical Christian world, the Christian world, the religious world generally, is he's protecting religious But it's not liberty. a difficult way to go, but that's not a difficult choice in your heart? Of course, there's always there's no perfect candidate out there. I mean, that, there's no perfect uh, politician, and you got to take the bad with the good. This has clearly been a marriage of convenience, however. This has been about the courts, and so they've abided a lot. This op-ed is coming, yeah. but we had the video uh, from Access Hollywood. We had his uh, right. going after you know yeah. people with uh, disabilities. This has been his character. This is who he is. And I'm just surprised that it's taken this long what to call he does it out. It matters. Thank you what all for this really interesting discussion. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Christmas. All, all of you. And up next, voters do it for Instagram. Elizabeth Warren does it for votes. So how the selfie is a defining feature of the 2020 campaign. Autographs are out. Selfies are in. I love that you have a tattoo. Let's do a selfie. It's a critical stop on Senator Elizabeth Warren's campaign trail. Her selfie line. Hundreds of thousands of informal photos with her supporters. Then we get to the most important part of democracy, and that is selfies. I'm proud now on 100,000 selfies. Her selfie status update on the debate stage this week was enough to get the attention of a top opponent. You're not the only one that does selfies, Senator. I've done thousands of them. Candidate selfies are the new campaign currency, more memorable than an autograph and a key way for candidates to connect with voters who then build buzz on social media. And it's not just Democrats. So a woman said, I've been here, Mr. Trump, in the rain for four hours could I have a selfie? And my people said, no, no, no. I said, absolutely, you can. Absolutely. One sticking point is over the word selfie itself. An apparent parody Twitter account of former Senator Orrin Hatch points out a selfie is when you're holding the camera as well as posing for the picture. Writing, there is an entire industry of fact checkers who are letting Elizabeth Warren get away with calling these selfies and I won't stand for it. Classic selfie or not, these snaps are here to stay. I'm going to keep doing town halls like this and selfie lines like this. 
Thanks so much for watching. Fareed Zakaria GPS starts next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.